Lord, I commend this servant of yours to your hands. And the words that he will bring to us will be words that will speak to us and allow this word to sink in and challenge us because you will speak through him to us. And therefore, I commit this meeting into your hands and ask that our hearts, our minds, and everything inside us be attuned to what the Spirit will say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, will it bother people if I just go over here, just kind of like this? That, okay, that way I can see the screen without turning completely around. Oh, yeah, and there I can see that one as well. Okay, great. Thank you. It really is nice to be here. We have a lot to thank PPH for, things that uh, you probably don't know. But one of your church members, who I think she normally goes to the Chinese service, but sometimes English service, is Jenny Lau. Uh, Vincent and Jenny Lau, maybe you know their kids, Jeremy, Jason, Jane. Anyway, great family, and sacrificially she gives of her time to us in the WEC headquarters office there in Chinatown, and just lovely person, lovely gifts, and just giving herself for the kingdom for us. So, And she's a PPH-er, so thank you for her. And, uh, and of course, you know, PPH and WEC, we go back a long way with Yi Ching and uh, other people, Sharon, of course, and Alan and Bessie, who've now joined your church. So, yeah, thank the Lord. And I love the worship today. I suppose the worship team maybe has already gone. Are they still here? Anyway, it was beautiful the way this started out, you know, who am I that you should be my friend? And that's a good question to ask, you know, who are we? that we should be the friend of God, and who are we that we should be a part of what God is doing? And that's what the title and the whole theme of this message today is, Little People, Big Purpose. God doing something, amazingly using us. Who are we? Who are we that we should be his friend? Who are we that we should be a part of his purpose? And so I hope that you will see as we go through this message how this relates to the whole of Scripture and relates to you personally in this room today. Well, the two texts to begin with that I've chosen um, come from, one is from the New Testament, from the book of Mark, so Mark chapter 4. The second one is from the Old Testament. So let's just read Mark chapter 4, verses 30 through 32. This is Jesus giving a parable of the kingdom. And he, Jesus, said... With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. So that's the first Passage. The second one is from Judges. Now, this is the um, story of Gideon. You probably know the story of Gideon. At this point in Israel's history, Israel was conquered by Midian. And so they were under the kind of rule and terrorism, as it were, of the Midianites. And everybody was f- afraid of the Midianites. And Gideon was afraid himself. He was hiding out, threshing his wheat in a, kind of a whole wine press. And the angel of the Lord comes to Gideon and says, you, Gideon, will save Israel from the Midianites. So he's kind of shocked by this huge request. And this is Gideon's response. He, meaning Gideon, said to him, the angel of the Lord, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you. And you shall strike the Midianites as one man. So this is his word. Let's just pray again. Lord, at at the reading of your word and at the moment of standing here, we are in your presence and we desire your spirit to speak. Help me as a weak vessel. Help us to have listening ears. Speak to us, we pray. Give us truth. Open our eyes. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, as 
thing Eng said, uh, we worked in Africa in the country of Chad, which is right below Libya and Sudan. We were actually just at the edge of the Sahara Desert, very dry place, very primitive. And I, as the medical doctor, I worked for the Chadian government. It wasn't a mission hospital. The government made me medical director of a little hospital, a little 30-bed hospital. That's the hospital there, not quite Singapore General Hospital. But uh, no electricity, no running water, no lab tests, um, 30 beds, quote, but only had about 10 actual beds. Um, and one of our difficulties was... Um, we had no electricity in the operating room. The only way we could do operations was we had a little generator, you know, a little Honda generator, pull cord, pull the generator, and get it started. And so when we could do surgery at night uh, with this little generator. And one night, I was in this operating room doing a surgery. It was a cesarean section delivering a baby, and the generator was working, lights were working, and I had just passed the baby off to my nurses to take care of the baby, and now was the time to sew very important part of the operation, stop the bleeding quickly, and all of a sudden the generator went, just died. No lights, because we didn't have emergency backup lighting or any kind of backup generator, and it was completely pitch black dark. I mean, I couldn't even see my hand in front of my face. And so the, the nurses uh, in Chad, most of the nurses are male nurses, and so they were around the generator pulling it, trying to figure out what the problem was. Meanwhile, pitch black dark. I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do. And while all this commotion with the senior nurses was going on, one of the junior nurses, just a trainee nurse who just happened to be in the room, he slips out the door of the operating room. He goes down the hall to the patient's rooms and finds a patient that has a flashlight, torch, comes back in and click holds the torch, the flashlight over my shoulder, and I was able to finish the operation by flashlight. Uh, so for about the next 30 minutes, this guy just stood there and held his light over my shoulder. Now, at the end of the operation, of course, uh, they never got the generator started, but at the end of the operation, everybody was happy. The mother was fine. The baby was fine. I was happy. The nurses were happy. But you know who was the happiest in that room? That junior nurse who had held the flashlight. Because he had done something. He had played a part in something bigger than himself. He had been a part of a bigger purpose. And, of course, you think about it. Well, in, in, in one way, it wasn't something awesome. I mean, it wasn't amazing. He just held a flashlight. But in another sense, it was a critical part of the bigger picture. His part was crucial to the big purpose of what was going on. And this is a visual image, I think, this holding the light of being a part of a bigger person, of a bigger purpose, a little person part of a bigger purpose. And that, I think, this idea of little people, big purpose, is really in some ways a summary of biblical history. If somebody were to ask you, okay, give us a, what's the Bible all about? Now you can say, in four words, you can say, this is what it's all about, Little people, big purpose. And since uh, we Singaporeans, we like acronyms, uh, even quicker than that, LPBP. That's all you have to say. What's the Bible all about? LPBP. Little people, big purpose. That's a summary. That is really a summary of history, not even just biblical history. This is what God has been about. God has a purpose. God is accomplishing his purpose. And amazingly, he is accomplishing it through little people. And I hope you will see as we look at the scriptures how true this is. This is a true picture of God's modus operandi, of God's way of working. The first kind of text is this parable that we looked at. So this is a kingdom parable. This is Jesus saying the kingdom of God is like. So he's talking about something big. He's talking about the kingdom, not just something small, a little village or a town. Or so. He's talking about the kingdom and not just any kingdom. He's talking about the kingdom of God. So he's talking about something big. And one of his major points is obviously there is growth in the kingdom. The kingdom of God expands. The seed is planted and it grows. And it becomes a big tree, and the birds can all nest. Now, oftentimes in the Old Testament, this image of a tree 
and birds nesting has to do with the nations, the nations coming under the kingdom. And so really what Jesus is saying is the kingdom grows and expands. But there's another point that Jesus wants to make. And it has to do with the seed that he chose. Because just to make the point about growing, he could have used any seed. He could have used a watermelon seed or a cucumber seed. He could have used either any seed, and yet he chose to use a mustard seed. And unless we miss the point of why he chose the mustard seed, he tells us. And he says, the mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. So he's making a point about smallestness. That's not a word, but he's making a point about small being used for big. And so really, I think a way you could look at this passage is God using the little things for a big purpose. That's the kingdom of God. That's normal. That's not an exception. That's not a one-time event. That is the way it works. Small things being used for a big purpose. And then the reason for this Gideon passage is God using a little person for a big purpose. I mean, you remember Gideon. He says, "Um, I am from the weakest clan, and I am the least in the clan. And it's interesting that at that point, the angel doesn't say, oh, sorry, wrong address. I'm looking for the strongest man in the strongest clan. He doesn't say that. And nor does he kind of try to boost Gideon's self-esteem. You know, Gideon says, I'm the weakest and I'm the least. And the angel doesn't say, no, no, it's okay. You're really strong. You're really a great guy. No, no, it's okay. No, he doesn't do that. He, He doesn't even respond to that statement about I am the weakest and I am the least. It's as if the angel accepts that. He knows he's the weakest. He knows he's the least. But that's not the point. He responds with what is the point. And the point is, I, God, will be with you, and I will strike the Midianites. I will accomplish my purposes. So you see what a beautiful illustration this is. A little person being used for a big purpose, LPBP. This is the way God works. And the wonderful thing is that this is, this is standard for God. This is standard operating procedure. This is biblical history. If you look at... Um, The beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 13, Abraham, of course, we know Abraham now is a famous man, a big man in a sense. But at that point, when God called him, he who was Abraham, he was a son of a merchant. Yeah, They said he was wealthy, but he was a foreigner in the land. Um, And there were a lot more powerful people in that era. There were Pharaoh of Egypt and rulers of Mesopotamia. And yet somehow God chose Abraham and said to him, I will bless you. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you, Genesis 12, 3. And Abraham must have thought, wow, that's a big job. All the families of the earth blessed through him. Again, LPBP, little people, big purpose. And Israel, of course, you know, Israel was chosen to be God's instrument for a season. The whole Old Testament is about Israel being God's chosen people. Now, why did God choose Israel? Well, we, we know one, way, one reason why they did not, he did not choose Israel, and that is Deuteronomy 7.7. 7. It says, It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. So it's not because you're a great nation, for you were the fewest of all people. So actually, God chose Israel because you were small. God chose Israel because you were a little people. For a big purpose. LPBP. It's the same thing that keeps repeating throughout biblical history. And David. Uh, you remember the selection process of David? You remember Samuel went to Jesse and uh, was going to choose a king among Jesse's sons. Now, apparently, Jesse had some good-looking guys as sons. Buff guys, big guys, good-looking guys. And, in fact, Samuel, when he saw the first son come out, he said, Wow. That guy looks like a king. Uh, And yet God said, no, not him. So son number two, nope. Son number three, nope. All the way through the seven sons, and then they're finished. And so Samuel says to Jesse, well, what's that all about? Don't you have any other sons? And Jesse says, oh, well, only got this one younger one. He's He's out in the field. I didn't even bother to bring him in. 
that was David. That was the one chosen, the youngest, the shepherd, who would become the greatest king that Israel has ever had. LPBP, little people, big purpose. This is God's pattern. This is the way God does things. Even Christ. Now, nobody would say that Christ is a little person. Christ is king of kings and Lord of lords. Before Christ, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. But you have to admit that when Christ decided to come to earth, he chose to come as a little people. He came not as a dazzling king. Christ came as a baby in a manger. A baby in a manger because there was no room in the inn. And that wasn't kind of a, oh, sorry, this didn't work out real well. No, this was the plan. This is, uh, Isaiah had prophesied that the Messiah, the Christ, would be, as it says in Isaiah 53, like a young plant, like a little shoot with no form, no majesty, despised by men, rejected by men. So that was the plan. And even Micah prophesied that the Messiah, Christ, would come from the littlest of tribes, not the big tribe of Judah, but from Bethlehem. And it says, but you, O Bethlehem, you who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. So does that remind you of Gideon, the littlest tribe? God choosing the little people for big purposes. And then, of course, Jesus himself followed that same pattern. Who did he choose as his disciples? He didn't choose rulers and centurions. He chose fishermen and tax collectors. And he didn't choose hundreds and thousands, a great army to carry on his work. He chose 12 disciples, little people, a big purpose. So this really is God's way of working. And the wonderful thing about this is this is not plan B. This is not like God's second choice. Like he tried something else. He tried to work through the rich and powerful, and they said no. So, well, okay, now I'm going to work through. No, this was his plan from the beginning. He could have done it differently. You remember Jesus in front of Pilate. And, of course, this is about, Jesus is about to be crucified, and Pilate is questioning him. And Jesus says, do you not think that I could call my father, and he could at this instant send down 12 legions of angels? You know how many angels 12 legions is? Apparently it's about 72,000 angels. So Jesus was saying, don't you know? Just in an instant, I could call down 72,000 angels. And that would be enough to release Jesus from Pilate, wouldn't it? I mean, that's enough to actually conquer Rome. If they're angels, they could conquer Rome and put Israel. But then Jesus says this wonderful thing. He says, but then how would the scriptures be fulfilled? That's what he says to Pilate. I could do this. But that's not the plan. The plan is not big angels. The plan is little people for a big purpose. That's the way he works. And it's God's good way. The way God does it is good, and it's good for us, and it's good for you. It's his first choice. This lovely verse in 1 Corinthians, which you've heard. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. LPBP, little people, the foolish things, the weak things, those without power are chosen by God for a purpose, and it's good. It's good for his purposes, and it's good for those people. And the wonderful thing about this truth is that we all qualify. We all qualify. This, I'm mentoring a young uh, Singaporean guy in university at my church, Church of Singapore. And uh, just last week, he's just finishing up university, and he have, was having a job interview. So Wednesday, I was texting him, how'd it go? He said, ah, oh, it was rough. They were asking me all these questions. And, of course, what they were doing was they were trying to see if he qualified for the job. But the nice thing is, we've all qualified. We finished the interview. We've got the job. 
we all qualify as worthy of being a part of what God is doing. Because he uses the weak and even the failing things of the world. My favorite illustration of God using weakness has to do with my university years. I became a Christian uh, just before university. So at university, I was a young Christian just trying hard to be a good Christian. So I was reading the Bible every day and praying in the morning. But like most university students, I was staying up way too late and I was always sleepy and I would fall asleep during my prayers. And But I was trying and I lived on campus um, and little small university dorm room. So my roommate, Cham, his bed was right beside my desk. So his feet were right there at my desk, you know, crowded dorm room. So I would wake up in the morning and he'd be, he was a Christian, but he didn't get up for a quiet time. So he would just sit, lay in his bed. I would turn on my little desk light, not so I wouldn't wake him up. And I'd read the Bible and I'd put my head down like this on the desk, kind of pray a little bit, sleepy prayer. And then I'd go off to class. And on this one particular morning, I put my head down like this on the desk to pray and fell sound asleep and was in this position for two hours, just sound asleep, woke up and had missed my first class, grabbed my papers and ran out the door. And Chan was still kind of lying in bed. And uh, some weeks later, about two weeks later, we were having a young men's Bible study and we're all sharing, you know, discipleship group. How you doing? How you doing? So they got to Cham, my roommate, and they said, how you doing, Cham? He said, wow, I'm really on fire. I'm having quiet times in the morning, and I'm reading the Bible, and I'm praying, and it's great. And the other guy said, well, so what happened? I mean, how did you, like, get this revival? And he said, well, about two weeks ago, I was lying in bed, and my roommate, Lewis, prayed for two hours straight. <laughs> it's true. And I was kind of hiding my head there in the, in the corner, trying not to admit. actually ended up admitting that I, I was just asleep, brother, but... Uh, <laughs> But the point is, God can use our failures. He can use our weakness because it's not about us. It's not about our strength. It's about him. And this is what God said to Gideon. I will be with you. You qualify. You qualify because of who is with you. And God is with you. And so this is the wonderful thing about God's purpose. He uses little people because it's not about little people. It's about him and his purposes. And so he can use you in your weakness. The wonderful, in uh, Philadelphia, we were there for a couple of years. They have these African-American, little tiny African-American churches, and they all have these creative names. And there's one little inner city church that I passed one day, and the name above the uh, church was Church of the Broken Pieces. And I thought, wow, that's a good name. I could qualify for membership in that church. Yeah. Church of the Broken Pieces, we're all in some way kind of broken. We're, none of us are perfect. None of us are the strong and mighty. Yeah, we all qualify. And this is the wonderful thing about God using little people for a big purpose is that we all qualify. We all qualify. Now, I mean, some of you guys and girls are presidential scholars and very bright and uh, probably will be very wealthy. And the good news is God uses you as well. And that's not to exclude people with education and money. I mean, uh, Abraham apparently was very wealthy. Isaiah, the author of the book of Isaiah, apparently came from noble lineage, from a royal family. He was very well educated and probably well to do. And you think about how God uses the powerful, like for Nehemiah. Remember Nehemiah building the walls of Jerusalem? Who was it that gave him the permission and the equipment and the money and supplies to rebuild the wall? Well, it was the king at the time, King uh, Artaxerxes. And so God used a powerful. So the point is not one versus the other. The point is that we all qualify and that none of us can say, I can't be missions. I can't do missions because missions is only for the gifted or missions is only for the spiritual or missions is only for the super qualified. No, that's not God's plan. God's plan is little people Big purpose. And so all of us qualify for that. Little people, big purpose. Now, when I talk about little people, I'm not actually talking about short people. Um, uh, But now I am talking about short people because this is a picture of the pygmies. The pygmies in Africa who are actually the shortest people on earth, very small people. And um, C.T. Studd, who was the founder of our mission, actually 
interestingly enough, C.T. Studd was a wealthy, aristocratic Britishman. He was a famous cricket player, you know, kind of a Lionel Messi of his day or a Ronaldo or whoever your uh, superstar is. But he was that in his day for cricket. And then he left it all and he went to the middle of Africa to what was then the Belgian Congo, what is now the Democratic Republic of the Congo, and he began to preach the gospel. And a church was founded among a people there, not the pygmies, but another group of people. And this church is now 100 years old. And as this church grew up, at one point in their history, they decided to reach out to the pygmies. The pygmies were different from them. The pygmies were in the jungle. The pygmies used blow darts to kill monkeys and eat. Still very primitive. And so this church reached out to the pygmies, and the pygmies came to Christ, and now there's a church among the pygmies. And back in October of 2013, we were having our, our centennial celebration. This church also was having its centennial celebration. So myself and Susan, we were able to go to the Congo, be with this church at their huge celebration. And it was a wonderful 10,000 people showed up for the celebration. And uh, there was dancing, of course, and the pygmies were there, and the pygmies had written a song, and they were singing their song. Now, I, I think this will work. I'll just give you a little seven-second uh, view of the pygmies uh, singing their song. Pretty excited. Uh, but the wonderful thing about the was the word of the words of the song, and what they had written was the words of the song was CT Stud brought the gospel to you. Now they're talking to the African church, not not to us missionaries. They're talking to the African church. CT Stud brought the gospel to you. You brought the gospel to us. Now we want to take the gospel to the nations, and that was the pygmies. The pygmies were dancing with joy, saying, "We are going to hold the flashlight." We're going to play our part. You brought the, the light to us. Now we get a chance. And you see, for the pygmies, it was a joy. It was an opportunity. They wanted to be like this junior nurse. They wanted to be excited. They wanted to hold the flashlight. They wanted to be a part of something bigger than themselves. And so this truly is little people, big, pur- big purpose, little in, a, in another way. But the beautiful thing about this truth is that we qualify, and God is looking, and Singaporeans qualify, the little red dot, and PPH qualifies. Maybe you're not City Harvest Church. Probably a good thing you're not City Harvest Church, but you're not a mega church, but you qualify. You are God's people for this time. And you, each one of you qualify. Nobody here can say, I don't qualify. I'm not enough gifted. God can use you because it's not about you. It's about his purpose using little people. And the interesting thing is, the sad thing in some ways is that you can say yes or you can say no. Um, There's this wonderful story about Esther. Remember Esther, the book of Esther, and she was a Jewish queen and she was called to save the Jews who were being threatened. And so her task was to go before the king and plead the case, but that was dangerous. She could have lost her life. And her uncle Mordecai was trying to get her to go. And he said, Esther, don't you know that for such a time as this, you have been raised up? For such a time as this, God has called you. You have a part to play. You need to hold the flashlight. You need to step up to the plate and do what you've been called to do. And then he says this interesting thing. He says, if you remain silent, in other words, you can say no, if you remain silent, relief and deliverance will come from somewhere else. In other words, God will accomplish his purposes. God is bigger than you and your yes or no. God will accomplish his purposes. But, he said, Mordecai said, but you and your family will perish. You can say no, but it has consequences. It has consequences. It's a loss for you. If you say no to God's purposes. And for now, our generation, our country, Singapore, your church of PPH, for such a time as this, God wants you to play a part in his bigger purposes. That's LPBP. That's little people for a big purpose. 
Now, for the most of this talk, we've been talking about opening your eyes to the little people part of this. And I hope it has opened your eyes to the truth that God does use little people. But now let's end by focusing on the big purpose part of it. Because sometimes I think we forget the big purpose. We don't see the big picture. Um, We worked in Chad, as you know. We worked among Muslims. And it was an Arabic kind of a culture, and they had a lot of things Arabic there, including these beautiful, ornate Arabic carpets. And so we had one of these on our floor in our house, beautiful design carpet with different colors. The other thing there are a lot of in Chad are ants. Ants everywhere, ants. And, unfortunately, ants were in our house. And we had ants crawling across this carpet. And I thought to myself one day, I wonder what the ants think of the carpet. I mean, one ant might be saying to his colleague ant, you know, this carpet doesn't make any sense. I mean, look, it's got three red threads and then a blue thread and now a black thread and then another red thread. I mean, it's just chaos. It doesn't make any sense. And, of course, it doesn't make sense, not from the ant's perspective, because he doesn't have the privilege to step back like we do and see the beautiful design the way it all fits together. And sometimes I think you and I, we get so concerned with our needs, myself and my needs, that we're looking around us in all the chaos of our daily lives and we forget the big picture that God has a purpose and he is doing something. And my little threads somehow fit into the big picture. And he wants us to step back and to look in the distance. Uh, Like a pilot, you know, a pilot of a ship can't steer a ship Uh, just by looking right in front. They need to look at the horizon. A pilot of a plane needs to look at the horizon. I was in a small plane in Chad. We were doing an emergency medical drop. It was rainy season. We couldn't get to this little clinic. They needed some medicines. They didn't have a landing strip, so we took this plane, and we were going to fly over the village and then drop the medicines out the window, and uh, hopefully they would not all break or anything and would land and they could use the medicine. So we were flying, trying to find this village. We had seen the map. We'd put the GPS coordinates and the pilot and I were looking at the GPS thing. And we, it looked from the GPS, we should be there, but we looked right around us and it wasn't there. We weren't there. We couldn't figure out what to do. Finally, we lifted up our eyes. I looked out the window and I saw off in the distance, the mountain that was, that village was right beside that mountain. I said, there it is. There's where we need to be going. And so the pilot, of course, turned the plane around, we went, made the drop. But the point of that is sometimes we need to lift up our eyes from the the daily stuff and see the big picture. That's the direction we need to go. Jesus said to the disciples, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white and to harvest. In other words, lift up your eyes to the big purpose. Take a look at the big purpose, and that's what gives you direction. You don't find direction by looking at the threads. You find direction by looking at the horizon of what God is doing. And what God is doing is big. And again, we have talked from the first book of the Bible in Genesis where God says, through you, Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And we go right through to the end of Scripture. Now in Revelation, you see all the families of the earth standing before the throne. Some from every nation and every tribe and every people and language standing before the throne. So what is God's big purpose? It's the redemption of all peoples, but not just all peoples. It's the redemption of all creation. Isaiah 65 talks about God creating a new heaven and a new earth. You remember that passage where it talks about, and in that passage, there's this beautiful description of no more tears and no more sickness and justice and harmony. Remember the wolf will lie down with the lamb. It's this beautiful picture of the complete redemption of creation. And that's God's purpose. Not just the salvation of one or two souls. It's the redemption of all of creation. And he will do it. And that's the big picture of what God is all about. And missiologists use the term missio dei. It's Latin for mission of God. And this is the perspective we need to take. Because You see, what this is saying is that missions is not me doing a mission asking God to bless it. It's not PPH doing missions asking God to help. It's God doing a mission, and he's asking us to be a part of it. Little people, big purpose. And that changes things, that perspective. This is God's mission. It's not our mission. 
his mission, the mission of God, and that is the big picture. You know, if, if you want to think about it in another way, he is using us to play a part. It's like God has, uh, is, is creating a drama, a play, and, and at each point in the play, he asks some of us to come up on stage and kind of be the actor on the stage. And he asks us, in this illustration that I'm using, he asked us to hold the light for that scene of the play. And really, when you think about history, it's three-act play. It's a three-act play. The first act of the actors belongs to Israel. And there's this verse in Isaiah where it says, I will make you a light for the nations that my salvation may reach the end of the earth. So now Israel is front and center. Israel is to be the light for the nations. And the important point is here is God chose Israel not instead of the other nations. God chose Israel for the sake of the other nations. He says, I chose you so that you would be a light that salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. And that's important for you and I to remember too, personally. God chose you to know him and to love him as a Christian, not instead of Muslims and Buddhists and other religions. He chose you for the sake of Muslims and Buddhists and other religions. You have a purpose. You are called to be a part of what God is doing. But in this first act, it was Israel who was called to be up on stage holding the light. And the second act was Christ to be a part. Now, of course, Christ you wouldn't call him just a simple actor. I mean, he is the center point of all history. He is the one who accomplished it. He is the climax. He is actually the author of the play and the director of the play. But for a season, he holds the light. Remember this beautiful passage? Um, the scene where Jesus was a baby and he was brought to the temple. And this old man, Simeon, now has the baby in his hands. And he looks at the baby and he says, wow, this is it. My eyes have seen your salvation a light for revelation to the Gentiles. He looks at Jesus and says, now Jesus is the light. It's passed from Israel to Jesus. And of course, Jesus himself, you know, he calls himself the light of the world. And John calls him the light that shines in the darkness. But Jesus also said in John 9, as long as I am in this world, I am the light, which would indicate that there was another act to this play coming up where he would not be holding the light and, of course, he also says who that is. He says, you are the light of the world. And he challenges us to be that light. He says, don't hide your light under a bushel. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father. So act two is Christ. And then act three, now Christ has given the torch to us. And he's asked us to carry that light. The church, even Paul, this is Paul, when the Jews had rejected it, Paul says, so the Lord has commanded us saying, I have made you, meaning us, meaning the church now, a light to the Gentiles. Paul quotes this same verse from Isaiah, and he says, Isaiah was the light, now we, Christ was the light, now we are the light. And that is the third act. God is on a mission, and the mission of God is being a light wherever. And, of course, a part of what Jesus said was you to be a light in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth, and that is the mission of God. Now, this distinction between mission and missions doesn't work if you translate it into Chinese, I think, or something else, but for English speakers... There is a distinction I think you might find helpful. At least some theologians talk about this distinction. A difference between mission and missions with an S. And mission is that missio dei. That's the purpose of God. The redemption of all creation. And that includes Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. That is all peoples, all creation. That is the mission of God. And he wants you and I to do mission. He wants us to be lights where we are. But he also wants us to do missions. And missions is shining the light where there is no light. You know, I talked about this little hospital in Adre, and we had lights only in the operating room there. The rest of the hospital was dark. 
In other words, there was no lighting in the, the, in the patient's rooms or the doctor's room or the on-call room, no other lights. So some, one year we had a short-term team from America come from my church to put in solar lights. So now where do you think they would put the solar lights? Well, they might put a few in the operating room because they would have some backup in case the generator went again. So it does make sense to put light in a place where there is already light. But if they wanted to do the complete picture, if they wanted to do the biggest of purpose, where would they put light? They would put light in the dark places. They would take the light to the patient's rooms. They would take the light to the doctor's room and the on-call room. And that is the big purpose. And that is missions. Missions is shining the light where there is no light. And there are places in the world where there is no light. There is no light. The light of Christ has not yet come. We worked among a people group called the Masalit, a whole people group. And when we arrived, this huge people group, only one person we knew of was a Christian. They had no light. And Susan was witnessing one day to a, a little old lady, 60-year-old-plus uh, lady, and she was talking about Jesus. And at some point in the conversation, the little lady interrupted her and said, you know, that Jesus sounds like a nice guy, a nice man. Uh, next time he comes to the village, bring him by my house. I'd like to meet him. She had, in all her 60 over years, she had never heard the name of Jesus, never heard of who Jesus was. She was in darkness, and somebody like Susan had to go and bring the light into the darkness. And the Masalit is one people group, and there are over 6,000 of those people groups, unreached people groups remaining in the world today where there is no light. And you and I are called to be a part of that. Little people, big purpose, and you're doing it. I mean, people like Sharon Tay, people like Rebecca that we talked about this morning, prayed for in, among the Tibetans, a dark place, shining a light in a dark place. Little people, big purpose. I want to end with this little video. You may have seen this video. It's um, uh, John Piper speaking. It's a little old. There's actually over 300,000 missionaries today, but the, the percentage of missionaries among the unreached is still very small, and he says it so well. Let me just let him speak before we close up. So if we can just run that little video clip. job is not done in the world that Christ gave us to do and the mandate is still binding on us today that's why we speak of unreached people groups but the missions is the back-breaking culture penetrating darkness shattering initial work to penetrate plant the church see it flourish get its own elders train its own people evangelize its own networks that's the task of missions. It's not over. And that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. And the alternative is hell. And millions and millions and millions of people are on their way there. And we have the only means of escape in our heads and in our hearts. Jesus. So come to cost, brothers and sisters, this is not an invitation to an easy life. For 2,000 years, thousands and thousands of missionaries, the unnamed, no biographies written about them, just unnamed people of whom the world is not worthy, have counted this cost and put their lives at risk and reached the lost with the only message of salvation. So now you know. Now you know that the summary of biblical history is LPBP. Little people, big purpose. 
God is on a mission. And his mission is the redemption of all creation. His mission is the redemption from some from every nation and every tribe and every people. And some of those people are still in darkness. And this day is Act 3. And you, your generation, Singapore, PPH, are asked to play your part. You're asked to hold the light, to play your part, to be a light, to be involved in missions. And missions is the overarching aspect of being a light wherever you are, being a light in Jerusalem, being a light in your school, in your home, in your HDB. But you're also being called to do missions, to shine the light where there is no light. And that is God's call to you. And you can say no, but you say no at your own loss, but you also can say yes. You can say yes for your own joy and for the purposes of God. Little people, big purposes. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. What a magnificent thing. Who are we that you would call us friends? Who are we that you would ask us to be a part of your great purpose? Hallelujah. That you are on the move and that you will accomplish your purposes. And thank you for calling us to be a part of that great purpose. Lord, move us. Show us our part, how you want us to hold the light. And give us the courage to say, yes, we all qualify because of who you are and because you will accomplish your purposes. For the glory of your name, pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The invitation has been given um, today. I'd like to make, leave the altar open. For those of you today, God is speaking to you and said, God wants you to do something where you are in terms of the mission of God and invite you to come forward and say, God, I want to rededicate myself for this mission that where you have planted me, where I am, in the school, in the army, in the workplace, in the home, in the community. That's the first group of people. The second group of people, if God, if you sense God is calling you for missions to be his spokesman, spokeswoman, to a place where there are no Christian witnesses, if that's the invitation that you sense that God is given to you, you want to respond, I invite you to come forward uh, to the altar so that we can pray alongside with you. So two group of people where you are and also to go to where uh, there is no Christian witness. So let us rise where you are. Rise and say, God, speak to me. Speak to me. God is here. God's spirit is here. It's moving here. He has spoken to us. So it's now for us to respond. We're going to sing our closing song. And as we sing, the sense God is talking in our hearts to dedicate your lives to say, God, use me where I am to complete, to be part of your mission. Please come forward. Or if God is speaking to you, say that maybe one day, one day God use me to be your light in some places that there's no Christian witness. If that's a God's indication in your heart, I invite you to come forward too. So let us end by the song.
Give an answer. 